the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, delight to welcome back into the studio Rabbi Pinchas Alush. We, um, my fault, couldn't uh, have him last week, but we're delighted to have him here with us uh, back uh, this week. And we try to have him in um, whenever he is in town. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea Boulevard, T-E-Beth, B-E-T-H, Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, House of Prayer, where he likes to say everyone uh, is welcome, uh, Jewish or not Jewish, observant or not observant. And uh, he is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, which you can hear on Apple Podcasts. He spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, and so does everyone else. <laughs> Rabbi, good to see you. <laughs> Great to be back. Thank, Thank you, Thank you. How's your son? Thank you for asking. So, good news. He, he just received a break oh, good. from uh, the battlefields of Gaza. Good. He got out this morning, and uh, he'll be on a short break for about a week, and then we'll see if he goes back in or if they take them up north to Lebanon. Yeah. We'll see. But God should bless, continue to bless him and all of uh, these brave IDF soldiers. And I thank your listeners again for all of their prayers. Yeah, tell us his name once again so that they can keep him in their prayers. That's so nice. Thank you. So it's his full name is Israel Mordechai Chaim, the son of Esther. Israel Mordechai Chaim, the son of Esther. May he be well. Amen. Thank you so much. You betcha. Okay, we got a lot to do here. We we have Rabbi Alushian at the end of the week because we kind of like to move things into a, a Sabbath mindset and take ourselves out of the quotidian and banausic, that's our word for the day, quotidian and banausic uh, mm. struggles of the week, <clears throat> political news and otherwise kind of get into a more spiritual and restful uh, mindset. It's important people have a rest. In fact, this week's uh, Torah portion, every week, Jews across the country read a portion of the Bible, the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And uh, in fact, in this week, starting roughly around Exodus 32, the title of which is Kitesa, mm-hmm. say it right, Kitesa, Kitesa, um, gets into uh, a reaffirmation of the importance of the Sabbath, actually, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yes, it's certainly mentioned here. And as you mentioned, rest is important, not just for the body, no. but also for the mind. We all know that we need, uh, w- what is it, at least eight hours of sleep a night. That's what the doctors are suggesting these days. <laughs> I don't, know if, I don't know if that's ever happened. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever gotten it? I've never I don't heard. think so. Okay. <laughs> but at least it's a, it's a suggestion. Okay. But, uh, Not a commandment, a suggestion. Okay, good. All right. right. All right. So that, but that sleep is for the body. I think our mind also needs uh, rest. And that's the, really the purpose of the Sabbath where we were able to not just rest the body, but to rest the mind from being enmeshed in all of the mundane and materialistic aspects of this world and rest it in the sense that it elevates itself to holy, more uh, spiritual and soulful matters that uh, where the mind really belongs. You know, it's interesting. Just on that for a moment, the body sleep and rest... Um 
there's a reason busy people are busy. There's a reason productive people are productive. And often they get the sleep that they need. They probably don't get eight hours. But a lot, I guess, to whom much is given, much is expected to receive. But, you know, rest doesn't have to be sleep. So, for example, in my view, and you can add or subtract or edit, but in my view, resting for those that don't sleep a lot or don't need or seem to require a lot of sleep, it can be turning your mind to something a little different. Mm -hmm. So, for example, maybe, I guess what I'm saying, maybe you don't sleep a lot, but on Saturday, the rest could be reading something philosophical or religious as opposed to your legal briefs or your work stuff that you have to do. Something that takes you away from what I call, not I didn't invent the word, but what I call the daily frenzy. That's you agree right. With that, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I don't. I, in other words, I think in some respects sleep is overrated, and in some respects, people who sleep a lot require more sleep. I have noticed this phenomenon. That that's that's right. Yes, absolutely. And you know, um, I, I think there are two aspects okay. here. Okay. One is indeed the emphasis on the external instead of the internal. Yeah. So we emphasize the importance of sleep without emphasizing the importance of the sleeping of the mind yeah, the from those lower and more materialistic yeah. items. Um, uh, you know, there's one, one of the great poems out there is that you can buy a clock, but you can't buy time. Yeah. You can buy yeah. sex, but you can't buy love. You yeah. can buy medicine, but you can't buy health. You can yeah. buy a good mattress, but you can't buy sleep. Yeah. So there is a tremendous emphasis these days on what you can buy, the externalities, but no one really speaks about the importance of the internalities, yeah, yeah. right? The, the time, not the clock, yeah. the sleep, not the good mattress. Yeah. And that can only be achieved if we indeed turn off the mind from those externalities and force it to go inwards yeah. to those great ideas, to reading a good book, like you were saying. Yeah. And that's true for the mind. And it's true for every other aspect of our lives. When we're able to turn off our clocks and really transport ourselves to a place that's above time, that's when we can appreciate time. And, and it's true for love, when we're able to go into our, our relationships in life, and, in life and, and appreciate them and develop and nurture them. That's when we're able also to elevate the relationship altogether from just a bodily relationship to a relationship that's soulful. And again, it's true for every aspect. And in many ways, that's what the Sabbath achieves. Yeah, that's right, because the commandment to rest on the Sabbath, rest doesn't mean sleep, mm-hmm. right? That's right. I mean, in fact, I mean, on Sabbath, people sleep, and maybe a little more, uh, but uh, they, they rest mainly from the physical activities of the week. And... Um, let me also say that it's not just what we do do, but it's also what we don't do. So, for example, yeah, yeah. our phone is off. And just having that that technological detox, maybe that's the way to put it, yeah. from um, our phone and from any, any other technological devices adds so much to the Sabbath because it forces us not to say, okay, I have no bridge to the outside world. Mm-hmm. So let me look at my inside world. I'm almost forced in that direction. Yeah. I mean, and you can focus a little bit more on prayers. There's an old political philosopher who's a teacher of my teachers who liked to make the point that 
the tragedy of today's society, and this is back in the 50s, the tragedy of today's society is that the morning paper has replaced the morning prayer. We're not focused on things permanent and things old, but something new every day. And I, I, I think there's something about the Sabbath that fixes that. And it's interesting to me, there's a lot of um, Christians, committed Christians now. In fact, on this network, Charlie Kirk um, makes a big point of this, that do their utmost to obey the Sabbath, to follow the Sabbath, to practice the Sabbath in the way that Orthodox Jews do. Hmm. They turn off everything. Right. And he, and he talk, gives lectures on this and the importance of it. It's interesting. Right. It's very interesting. And, you know, I, I've, I, uh, I'm a big sports fan, so I look into the successful athletes and what makes them successful. Tom Brady speaks about this. Um, uh, Cousins speaks about that from the Minnesota Vikings, about how they also have mm. a day of rest, mm. a rest from the outside world where they switch off their phone. They focus on their families because without it, really – we we lose ourselves in the rat races of life instead of finding that perfect balance between body and soul that enhances ourselves instead of losing it. I run a lot, and uh, runners are told that rest is a part – a day of rest, a non-workout day is a big part of the training. Rest is actually part – considered part of the training. Of course, if you're injured – Rest is the first thing in a um, acronym called RICE. Rest, uh, ice, compress, and elevate. But rest is the first word. But even when you're not injured, rest is a part of literally a coach. A good coach will tell you rest is part and parcel of training. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a very essential part of the yeah. training. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, Trotsky has a great story called How Much Land Can a Man Own? Mm-hmm. And where he speaks about this wealthy uh, person who told – very poor man that, look, I'm going to give you as much land as you want, but you have to run and cover that land that you wish to own from sunrise to sunset. And having much land you will have covered by sunset, that's the land you will own. And this man went running and running and running and covering as much land as he could because he knew that that's the land he would own. But when sunset came, he became so tired that he collapsed mm. and died. Mm. And in the end, the only land that he really owned <laughs> was yeah. a, yeah. you know, yeah. Two two by two yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, grave gravesite, yeah, yeah. and Trotsky was teaching us really that sometimes we lose ourselves in those races, that we forget what is truly important in life, and that's the purpose of rest. Let me take a quick commercial break with Rabbi Pinchas Salush, and we'll come back on more of the Sabbath and the Golden Calf. We learn about the Golden Calf here. Rabbi Alush and I will be. Am I? Is my clock wrong? I have two more minutes. Oh, I do. Really? This is great. See? Okay, two moments. That's what happens when you get... <gasps> That's what happens when you rest. Yeah, what happens when you rest. Yeah. <laughs> but rest in a, in a positive way. was I wrong? Way. No, I was wrong. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, uh, pursuing uh, our uh, regular Friday afternoons, Conversations with Rabbi Pinchas Salush. That should be the title, Conversations with Rabbi Pinchas Salush, um, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Conversations with Seth Liebson. No, no, no. Well, no. They know what I think. <laughs> they get enough out of me. Um, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the portion of the week. So basically we're in Exodus. We're in roughly chapter 32, Kitisa. Um, often 
mistranslated as taking a census. Mm. Not really that's what it's about, right? Right. It's interesting because, you know, from the way God orders Moses to count the Jewish people in this week's portion, which is really what kitisam means. It's translated as when you count, even though it really means when you elevate. Uh, from that commandment, we learn that we are not allowed to count people as numbers. If I have a group of people, I can't say one, two, three. Many people count them as not one, mm-hmm. not two, because you're not allowed to count people as numbers. Why, why is that? Because, and by the way, we see that in the Bible too. When yeah. King David counted people as numbers, a plague emerged and killed many people because of this. Now, why? Because when I count a person and I say that he's one, then I've given value to a body. You've contained it. I've contained it. You've constrained it. That's right. Yeah. When a person limited it, you've limited it. Limited Sorry. it. Go ahead. Sorry. That's correct. That's correct. I've confined it and limited mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And when a person can is really valued as as much more than one. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the value of the person that we find also in this week's portion? God told Moses, count them by having them first give you something, yeah. give you a half a shekel. Yeah. Then you'll count all of the half shekels, and you'll know how many people they were. Just double But that's because yeah. people are really counted or valued by what they give, mm-hmm. not by what they are. If you look at a person and what he is, you might just see one. If you look at a person and what he gives, you'll see much more than one. And that is the real value of the person. We are worth what we give, not what we are. Now, what's interesting, to go a little bit further, if I may, yeah. Moses tells them to bring a half a shekel. Why a half? Yeah. And the answer is because it also comes to make the same point. I'm only worth a half if I live selfishly just to myself. Yeah. But if my half joins your half, that's when I become whole. It's through giving that I become wholesome, that my value is increased. And um, that, that's true in life altogether. We've spoken about this, that when people die, no one speaks about how much they took mm-hmm. or what they were. Yeah. People really speak about how much they gave because that's where their real value lies. It seems there might be a relationship in this notion to understanding good and bad, too, or good and evil. I mean, yes, we're all equal as human beings, but we're not equal in our worth as human beings, irrespective of money. So if you're being counted as number one, and I'm as just that number, and I'm just a number, uh, what's the difference between, let's say, you and Joseph Stalin? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we go through this debate. We went through it. We go through it every year. A couple weeks ago, um, a federal holiday called officially Washington's birthday, George Washington's birthday. And a lot of people have corrupted it to now just calling it President's Day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us say, really? Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln is just on par as, as Millard Fillmore mm-hmm. or George Washington. But, you know, you have the worth of Washington in the naming of you get to sense who he is if you call it that not not everything the same identical number, one of, you know, one, two, up to 46. I don't know if I'm making any mm-hmm. sense here. No, you are, because that's exactly what kitisa means, that commandment means. God was telling Moses when you will okay. elevate, right. not count. Right. You elevate them by looking at what they can give, what they can contribute. And everyone can contribute something else. 
Everyone is unique. You in like to talk of a symphony. That's correct. Exactly. Just like a symphony. The trumpet can't be the piano, and the piano can't be the drums, but together they create a most beautiful symphony. And that's how you really elevate people. You tell the trumpet, you're not just one, you're not just a body, you have something you need to give, mm -hmm. to contribute. That unique thing that you have is the trumpet. Yeah. Someone else might have a piano, but when the, the, that musician plays that trumpet or the piano or the drummer, depending on their talent, that's when we can really create a symphony in this world that produces the sweetest music. And that's how we elevate people. That's the word elevate, not count. I love that. And I love that you quoted your weekly uh, newsletter with a quote from uh, Gota. Treat a man as he appears to be, and you make him worse. Treat a man as if he were what he potentially could be, and you make him what he should be. And it, what he should be. In, I didn't mean to swallow the end of that sentence. In education and pedagogy, there's the notion that if you tell a young child he's a failure, he will become a failure. Mm -hmm. Right. You, know, you want to nurture the bigger and positive aspects. There's also a lesson in child raising and child rearing that when you see a child that has a certain talent, nurture that talent. Let them be the best at that thing. Um, a, uh, you know, we know this in the animal kingdom. Um, you know, birds aren't going to outrun cheetahs, but cheetahs can't fly. You don't, you don't confuse what they are meant to do and be. Right. Very well said. And, and uh, you know, you remind me of that. I, I forget her name, but one of the top dancers in Great Britain until not long ago. She's an elderly woman today. Maybe, maybe she's passed. I, I forget her name. But um, apparently she began a career thanks to a tremendous psychologist that her parents took her to when her teachers, when she was young, said that she just does not know how to sit still. She's always walking around and dancing around. And they didn't know what was wrong with her. So her parents took her to the psychologist. And the psychologist told the parents, just leave her in the room. Let's watch her from the window. Let's step outside and watch her from the window. And they saw that she was moving her legs all the time. And the psychologist then turns to the parents without even examining her yet, telling the parents, you know, I think that she doesn't have any issues. Yeah. I just think that she needs to dance. Yeah. Have her become a dancer. And she became one of the greatest dancers it makes all the in sense British in history. The <laughs> right. But most people, you see, even those teachers in her school would have said, oh, she, she's, she's got problems. She's got spilkers. <laughs> she's got spilkers, yeah. as they say. <laughs> right. But here was a tremendous man who saw the potential, yeah. who saw the, the, the soul, and therefore was able to elevate her, Kitisa, and, and, and see that tremendous talent in her. I get it. Um, Totally. Some people shake their legs a lot. I do. Once right. in a while like this, you know, they just bounce around. They you can't be contained in a chair. They can't sit still. They don't have any shosh still in them or yeah. sitch You might here. be a good dancer. Seth. Well, no, I'm running. But running. that's the point. Oh, so I find when I'm in running shape, I do that less. Mm. So you've got to direct your energies rightly. That's right. Good clockwork, Mr. Bill. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts. Let's dig into this. Let's move on a little bit in Exodus, um, Exodus 33. Uh, Moses 
has an attendant, I guess is the translation, maybe a guard. And this is where we get introduced to Joshua, son of Nun, they say. Um, Different translations on the next part of Joshua's biography and what he does, serving as Moses' deputy, but they say Joshua is a man of youth. Mm -hmm. Now, what the rabbis have been able to put together is that He's actually about five years older than I am right now, hmm. and they're calling him young. Yes? <laughs> right. My friend Tevi um, brought to me a teaching today, I think from Ibn Ezra, that Moses was his guide and his teacher. And to the degree that you maintain a guide and teacher in life, that you are always open to learning, that's what keeps you young. That's what he brought to me today. No, that, that, absolutely. And that's, that's exactly the point. How do you define youth? Youth is a person that recognizes that he always has room to learn and grow. If you think you've arrived, if you think you know it all, that's when you're old. And in many ways, Joshua had that constant spirit. He knew that he was a student. He was never the teacher, that he was always learning, that he never reached that destination of knowledge. Which is interesting because, you know, in, in, in the Talmud and throughout Jewish history, the people that were the true sages were called Talmid Chacham, which really means a student of wisdom. Oh, that's interesting. You know, the Greeks, I think, tried to copy us in many ways because they called their sages philosophers, which means lovers, lovers of, of wisdom, wisdom right? Yeah. Philo and Sophie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, lovers of wisdom. Yeah. But here the, the point is made in a stronger way that I'm always a student of wisdom. Yeah. If I think I've reached that destination called wisdom and that I've become wise, that's when I'm not wise anymore. That's when I'm old. But so long as I recognize that there's so much more to learn, then I have maintained my youth and I've become truly wise. I learned this symbiotically. It goes the other way a bit too. Um, growing up in, 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 in music – I would go in concert to concerts of um, famous musicians who were aging as they, you know, as they get older, and I would just follow them throughout their lives. And I would notice the ones that had the longest careers had younger and younger musicians around them. The young musicians kept them young, and they learned a little bit from each other. Now, it was beautiful to watch these older musicians kind of boost the career of these young Mm -hmm. up-and-comers, but I think it also kept them young. My teacher... um, uh, Dr. Jaffa lived to be 96 um, and never stopped teaching, never stopped teaching. He had a mandatory retirement, but he had this flock of students that would come to his house that would meet him at his office in the library. I think it kept him young. Mm. So I had a teacher who shared that message who said that if the purpose of students is to emulate teachers, if the teachers project that they know it all and therefore they came to to just deliver information, the students will really never learn yeah. because they're not emulating learning. Yeah, right. They've done learning. Right. right. So how can you expect a student to learn right. with a teacher like that? Right. The only way a student can truly learn is that the teacher truly learns. Yeah. Then the student is able to emulate the teacher, and together they can learn and explore the ideas of this world. You see it. Particularly, I mean, in in Judaism, I've been to any number of courses where they have these very old rabbis coming in, and you know, I mean, they can hardly walk, but there's nothing that's going to stop them from getting into that classroom, right? 
Right. And I think the youth around them and wanting to, but they're learning too. And they're learning. They never stop learning. They're learning even more than those students right. are learning. Right. Because, you know, when it comes to divine wisdom, we realize that it's infinite. Yeah. And therefore, the student and the teacher are on the same level. They are both exploring the infinite. And a finite being versus the infinite is 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 on the same level as another finite being versus the infinite, regardless of how great that other finite being may be. I learned this long time. There's a famous website uh, account um, that kind of exposes a lot of nonsense. Um, it's called Libs of TikTok. It's run by a woman named Haya Reichik. And uh, when I was in Los Angeles, lived in L.A., it was her uncle that I first saw this with. He would come in. He had to have been 180 years old, mm. and nothing would stop him from getting into that classroom. By the way, when he walks into that classroom, everyone stands up. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. All right. May he rest in peace. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. We're looking at Exodus 32 forward. Uh, we get to the golden calf here. This is really interesting. Rabbi Telushkin, Joseph Telushkin, you may know him. Certainly yes. you know who he is. He talks about uh, this in the context of when people tell him if God would only show them a miracle, they would have a better or an easier time believing in it. And he tells them the story of the golden calf. Here you have these people that saw every miracle beyond imagination, and all of a sudden they no longer, even with that, believe in God so much so that they have to build a calf uh, out of out of out of gold. Um, what what's the story of the golden calf to you, Rabbi? The story of a golden calf to me is a story in which we see that deep within the human condition, there is a yearning for God. And a yearning for something that is greater than the human being himself. Okay. Sometimes it's channeled in a very, very distorted way, which is really what the story of the golden calf is. But the ultimate leader, like Moses, who stands for the Jewish people against God, really, when God wants to wipe them after this, wipe them off the earth after this sin, the story of, of, of Moses and leaders like Moses is that they're able to dig deep beyond those layers of golden calves and see that yearning and then eventually channel it in the right way. There is a part of the teaching here that the catalyst or impetus for the building of the golden calf was uh, started by a group of troublemakers that was plaguing the entire group of the Exodus. There's a line, they um, they say, uh, this is your God, not this is our God. And there's a teaching I read that says, well, there was this group of troublemakers that had been part and parcel of the entire Exodus, <laughs> and it was they who really were the, were the ones. But it shows you a small right. group can affect an entire group. In um, education reform, I remember a wonderful study I read out of Stanford that when we talk about teacher quality – the poor performing teachers may only constitute something like 8% of the teaching workforce, but that 8% um, could ruin the whole thing, can ruin the entire school, for example, or an entire school district. And I started giving talks a little bit about this or when I would bring this up, and other people from other industries would say it's not just teaching. You know, take any company, just 
have 8% bad apples, it'll ruin the whole thing. <laughs> right. Well, like a, like a basket of apples. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. rotten apple, yeah. it can ruin yeah. a whole bunch. Yeah. But I would say that the opposite is true too. There, uh, the, okay. the, the extremely good apples can also influence – the rest of oh, the you're apples. an optimist like that, are you? You're one of those, huh? Uh, well, I don't know. If I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a realist. Okay. All right. <laughs> because I will tell you why. I mean, if you look at society, and, and there are many studies about that, you know, many people are sheep, mm-hmm. and they're not lions or wolves, as they would call them. Mm-hmm. And now sheep can be led in one way or the other. So the rotten apples will try to lead them in one way, but the good apples will also uh, lead them in another way if they are given the opportunity. So it, it really depends on, on the leadership. And unfortunately, when the Jews came out of Egypt, yes, there were rotten apples who took advantage of, of the many sheep that existed, with that, many sheep that still had that slave mentality from Egypt. And they were able, therefore, to lure them into that, that uh, terrible, distorted direction. But I really believe that, look, Moses was that lion who led those sheep into the ultimate direction. It mm-hmm. took him a little more effort, yeah. a little more years, yeah. a little more time, right? Yeah. But eventually he succeeded, which proves that the excellent apples will always prevail. Yes. But there's something additional to that point, isn't there, in that a frustration, ultimate frustration God had with the slavery experience, isn't there, in that something about he realized that... Um, the generation of slaves, they really it had done so much to them, they weren't ready to enter the Holy Land, and they couldn't, I think. Yes, yes, that's right. I mean, it's unfortunate because— You can it, take the slave out of Egypt, but you can't take— take slave, That's right, you know, Egypt out of the slave. Right. You know, I'll share with you very uh, confidentially. <laughs> it's not yeah, confidential sure. Only a few anymore. of us here, just exactly. you and me and Bill. <laughs> But now when my son came out of Gaza, um, his commander called him, and he said to him, did you come out of Gaza? He said, yeah, I just came out. He said, no, 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 you don't understand my question. Did you come out of Gaza, or is there still a piece of Gaza left in you? And in a way, it's it's the challenge of of all of us. Uh, PTSD of of emotion. We carry our past. We carry the hurts of our past. And the big question is, when we wake up in the morning, are we waking up really to a fresh new day, or is that past hindering that f- the freshness of the day? Yeah, and I take it you believe that we should start every day totally afresh and anew. Yes, I, I really believe that's why God created sleep. Yeah. To yeah. reset ourselves, yeah. not just our bodies, but our perspective altogether. Yeah. And uh, to enable us really to embrace the new blessings of the day today. Yeah. Now, unfortunately... Uh, the human condition, uh, you know, is a little bit different, and it does carry a lot. But it, with I, th- I also believe that with tremendous exercise and self-effort, we're able to let go of the past and really be present so that the blessings that exist right now permeate our very beings. I don't know if you have any restaurateurs in your congregation, but I think a good idea for one would be to open a 24-hour kosher deli. So that one that serves breakfast all day with the message being you can always start your day over again. <laughs> yes. Wouldn't that be an enterprising idea? Plus, we could use a good kosher deli around here, we couldn't could. we? All right. We could. I mean, we could. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I have a friend who wants to open one. He wants to make it subscription-based. 
But it's a great idea. I'll tell him he would have a radio show that would promote it. <laughs> That's Rabbi Elush, have a, have a good Sabbath. Have Thank a good you Shabbos. so much. Thank Always you. a pleasure, Seth. God, God bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a heck of an investment opportunity for you. It's in a secure and collateralized portfolio that really invests in you. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. There's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. You, of course, get a monthly statement. No surprises. And um, you, best of all, get a 10.25% fixed rate of return, up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24, 888-Y-REFI-24. Make sure and tell them I sent you. It's hard to know where to close with everything we've done today and this week, except as long as we're in kind of a somewhat spiritual or religious frame of mind, let's be a little ecumenical here. This has been on my mind a long time. Uh, this was originally written, many of you may know it already, but how bad could it be to end the week on this notion? This was originally written circa 1969 by a guy named Kent Keith. I got to interview him once. He's still around, I think, lives in Hawaii. And a version of it was found on um, on the wall in Mother Teresa's home in Calcutta. And whenever you get frustrated by something, a project, a colleague, a person, friend, someone else, um, or you just kind of feel like you're spinning your circles. This is I've always loved this. They're called the paradoxical commandments. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous, but be happy anyway. For the good you do today will often be forgotten, but do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be a be enough. Give your best anyway. For in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. God bless you all. Mr. Bill, thank you. Uh, Young David, on behalf of the rest of the crowd here, and to all of you, have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. I am Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.